listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Knapp. Yes, it's episode 82 of the Northern Football Podcast, back after our first non-holiday-induced hiatus. I'm Peter Galindo, doing well after my very unexpected emergency last week with Alexander Gongay-Ruzik. How was Cali, my friend? Mint. It was Mint, California. A fantastic place, sun, Hollywood, all that good stuff. A lot of soccer, of course, there always is soccer at a follows me around or maybe i just follow it around let you decide <laughs> let you be the judge of that one but uh yeah no jokes aside la was beautiful the road there and back was great some national parks etc so it was nice just to to mix a bit of exploration with with some football as we rejoin the northern football podcast as uh got lots to dive into as usual i mean the european season's back and uh no shortage of storylines as we'll see yeah, we were talking just off the air there about our World Cup squads, and it, it changes every day, man. It's absolutely wild how often like the, the changing scenarios for all these players just keeps affecting what could be the final roster, and yet we're still 90 days away from it. But before we dive into all of that and more, just a reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And be sure to leave us a rating on Apple and Spotify, as well as a review on Apple while you're at it. So as for those aforementioned scenarios I was speaking of, now that we're in full swing across Europe, we'll dive into this week's Canucks Abroad Roundup and Mailbag. Starting with Alfonso Davies, who was ruled out of Bayern Munich's massive win over Bochum due to a minor muscle injury. He's participated in some individual sessions and has responded well to them ahead of Saturday's match with Borussia Mönchengladbach. So that's obviously great news. Um, In France... Jonathan David, he moved from his inside forward role off the right to the number nine position as Lille were crushed 7-1 by a dominant PSG on the day. So that's led to a question from full-time FC who asked, David has been very impressive for Lille. With Lille getting run over by PSG, do you guys want to see a transfer from him now? Personally, PSG is going to roll over many teams like this, so I don't think we should overreact for David. Fonseca and him are still the perfect pair. Can't disagree with what full-time's saying there. Because again, the, the thing is that is very, you know, the, the biggest point of them all is this PSG is PSG. We mentioned a few weeks back, like that Christoph Galche signing is is ridiculous. Just the fact that he's just, okay, let's play back three. Let's uh, unleash Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, and, you know, we'll get the solidity of Sergio Ramos and Marquinhos and Presno Kimpembe as your back three, Nuno yep. Mendes and Hakimi as your wing backs. Like Vitinha was ridiculous to oh, watch, so I must good. say. Yeah. He was so, so good to watch in that game. Like PSG is going to be dominant. I'm very intrigued to see how they do in Europe this year. Cause like this, I don't know if this will, this is their best team on paper that they've had, but this is definitely the most complete and well rounded and, and all that. So I think it's a credit to them that they're just rolling over everyone. But that's tough from Lille's perspective. It's like if you're Jonathan David, of course, wherever you go, you want to compete for titles. You've already won a League One title. You're kind of like, can this team come close to winning it? Because as we've seen, there's defensive issues. Even maybe before this PSG game, they did allow goals in each of the game games. You do look at that back line, losing Sven Botman, Mike Magnon the year before. They're still mm-hmm. really recovering from some of those losses. Reynildo as well. They ended up losing last year so. 
I look at the little team. I mean, Jonathan David under Paulo Fonseca, the good news is he's going to go get his goals. He's going to play well. I think he stays there again because, as we mentioned, no one at this stage is going to pay $50 million unless it's a panic buy, which I suppose, seeing how the transfer market goes, isn't a complete uh, long Man stretch United. of the imagination. Man oh, United. no, stay away from there. <laughs> no, they're probably not going <laughs> to sign him anyways. I mean, they seem to have their eyes on Anthony or Cody Gakpo these days, so. So ultimately, all that to say is he's going to stay, and that's not a bad thing. Again, I just you look at this situation, it's really unfortunate he wasn't able to get that move this summer, though. I think this would have been the perfect uh, time, but the day he moves, it's going to hopefully be a, a, a good one, but just leaves him in such a weird situation where they're going to be good days with Bill this year. They're going to be days like that. That's just the the reality. But the good thing is there, there it is a lot more optimistic long term than it was, say, last year. And also, even in that blowout, he was still trying to get involved. He was still highly motivated, had a couple of shots. They probably weren't going to go in like he was closed down pretty well. But at the very least, even in a game where it was a foregone conclusion, David was still trying to make things happen as a number nine, which hasn't always been the case for him, especially under Gorvanek. So that is at least encouraging, even if he doesn't get his goals or assists. The fact that he stays involved and motivated, I think, is what's key for him. Sticking to France, Ike Ugbo played about 72 minutes for Troyes as they lost 4-1 to Lyon on Friday. He looked a bit less rusty, but you could definitely tell it was still affecting his play, Alex. So how long do you figure it'll take for Ugbo to regain his full match fitness and come close to matching the form he had when he initially joined Troyes? I'm giving him till the September window, honestly. I'm giving him time just because if you look at his situation... He, he finished so good last year with Troyes. And then what happens is he goes back to Genk as he's card, you know, right. contractually obligated to. They didn't even take him on any of their preseason tours. No. He, he didn't get a train in any of the squads. So he was just kind of like in no man's land. So it's worth remembering that it's like he's only been in the team setup for two to three weeks. Because at least, it, you know, had Genk taken him in, even if they had no plans of of playing he could have got a preseason so because of that i think he's just playing from from behind a bit in terms of that and the fact he's already going 72 minutes in a, a league a game against the team of leon's caliber and you know still having good flashes show he's not far off that match fitness i don't think he needs much but in terms of leeway i'm giving him till september just because of the unique situation he was in and uh i think once he gets up and going we're gonna see the ugbo we saw uh last year it's just unfortunate that things with gang control worked out as they did i think ideally you go to you get your full preseason with the team you're going to be playing with but what happens is you don't get a preseason with the team that owns you then it takes a while to for the team that you know everyone knows you're going to end up there likely 90 percent uh it just is a, is a bit of a weird situation for for him right now we're, we're seeing that as he eases into a league on season instead of having the luxury of a preseason and you can always say that the first couple of games are going to be write-offs in that regard he did look better that is the good news. You could still tell that he was like a step or two off in terms of timing his runs, maybe anticipating where a pass was going to go. But he was getting involved, again, much like David was in the blowout loss to PSG. So as long as that keeps happening, I think that's what's key here. Um, still maybe a slightly heavy touch, but again, when you haven't had months and months and months of match fitness you're probably going to have a slightly heavier touch than usual. That's one of the symptoms of it, really. Over in Spain, Luca Coliosho had another 20 minutes 
for Espanyol in a 2-0 loss to Rayo Vallecano. He also had about 15 minutes in their season opener against Celta Vigo. Didn't look too great in that one, was kind of constantly losing possession. But this one looked a lot more slick in a left-sided role. He kind of played on the right against Celta. So it leads to a question here from KJ at Winnipeg Guerrito. If Goliosho sticks with the first team at Espanyol, which is looking very possible, he surely gets a September call-up, no? I would say yes, Alex, but then the question becomes, and I think this kind of is what led to our conversation off-air regarding the World Cup squad and whatnot, who kind of gets omitted from that team to make room? I mean, firstly, I hope John Herdman picks a 28 or 29-man squad for September just to for some of those guys on the bubble, like Goliosho, like a Theo Corbinal. Joel Waterman just to get a shot and and be in the mix. Raheem Edwards, all those guys that were just kind of on the cusp there. But for Kolyosha, I mean, yeah, if he's he was getting first team minutes with Espanyol growing. Because uh, the thing is, a young player like that, he's he's still he's what 18, 19. So if Espanyol's already still, keeping yeah. him around, yeah, he's if they're keeping around him, giving him minutes. What I like is that there's a path for him to, you know, this isn't some twenty eight year old getting his shot with Espanyol. Like, okay, he's going to be a depth player. No, this is someone who they obviously have an eye on for the the future. So if he keeps this up, I think he's one hundred percent going to be in Herdman's plans. I think Herdman. Well, you know, want to see, we'll see this, the body of work in a top five league. He'll see, you know, the progression. I, I think Herdman will also, you know, realize he needs to continue to phase in some younger players. You know, for example, this could be a potential junior Hoylet replacement long-term looking at the depth chart uh, on the wing. So I think Kolyosh will certainly be on the cusp. It's going to be hard to see where he fits in just because I think if the, you know, there's a lot of wide players on Canada. So it's going to be, they're, they're going to need some bodies in midfield, maybe less at center back. Maybe that's where we see a body get sacrifices at the back. But, uh, you know, because of that, that's what goes against Kolyosha. But in terms of his play itself, he's certainly in the mix right now. And he's on the cusp, uh, assuming he wants to accept a, a September call up. And I think this would be a good time for him. Take the September call up. You're going to get the two games. Uh, as friendlies, you're going to miss out, uh, you know, get what you missed out on in the June window, and then he won't be cap tied, and then it will help him make a decision. So I think it makes sense for all parties, even if you're Herdman, if Colio shows your 27th guy, if he's your 28th guy, just call him in if he's willing to to give it a shot. It's in Europe, too. It's not like he has to travel right. to Antarctica from, from Espanol to make a, a trek. It is pretty close from uh, Spain to Austria, so... I think it makes sense on a lot of fronts, really. Yeah, so do I. And I mean, I'm sure Herman would love to bring him in and he will try. It's just a matter of, as you said, whether Kolyosha wants to, because he will probably listen to U.S. interests too. But it's an intriguing situation for both national teams, I feel, because you, you mentioned the winger depth. Both national teams have very good depth out wide, right? You just look at the surface level players like who were probably... In Greg Bearhalter's plans for the U.S., you've got Pulisic, you've got Aronson, Wea, Ariola, Morris, Reina, provided he doesn't get hurt for like the 19th time in the last year. But like, like those are, are all guys who are going to be in that conversation to make the World Cup squad. I'm sure I'm missing other guys too. But then you look at Canada as well, and it's Davies, Buchanan, Hoylett, Miller, Corbinu, Mitrovic, toss in Brim and Raheem Edwards as options too, because they can play there if needed. Not that I think Edwards at the very least would be a, a winger option, probably more a fullback option, but that just kind of goes to show you the, the strength and depth in those wider positions. But that's what makes it so intriguing, Alex, is that Canada technically has an advantage having brought him in already. 
but both teams are loaded for wingers. So it's just a matter of kind of which one does he want to test out first? Yeah, well, the thing is, the U.S. hasn't shown that much interest, funnily enough. I mean, Berhalter's no. kind of like, when he's ready, he's ready. He hasn't been, you know, like Herdman, who's been like, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I want, <laughs> I want more. So I do think because of that, it would make a lot of sense, picks the September window. And then, hey, who knows where he's at in November? For all we know, he's going to be, he could have five goals and five assists by November. If not, he could be back with the second team. The thing is with the, uh, a player of his potential at 17, we have no idea where he's going to be at in two months, five months, a year, two years uh, because of that. But if he's playing by September, I think you give him a shot to just at least experience the friendlies. I think it's smart if you're Canada as well. Uh, and I'm curious to see what they do because of that. Cause this one bonus for once being in Europe for these September friendlies is that you have that sort of leeway where you can look at a guy like a Daniel Jebbinson uh, all of a sudden be like, Hey, you know, England to Austria isn't so far. Like come, come by <laughs> train. You don't even have to see the field for, if you want, you can play in a friendly, but come see the environment. I do wonder if Herdman's going to balance that. Cause no doubt, of course, let's be real. It's World Cup prep time. You need yes. to focus on the World Cup. You need to prepare. But the thing, the unique situation about this Canadian team is they have their 2026, assuming FIFA doesn't do anything stupid, all sorted out. You're also for- focusing on the future. And this World Cup, having missed out on, you know, on so many, you got drawn a tough group. This World Cup's about going out there, proving you can compete against the top team, score a goal, if not multiple goals and push for the knockout stages. You're not going out there and being like, oh, we're going to make, we need to make a run to the quarterfinals or else Herdman gets the sack or this and that. So you can kind of balance that looking for the future with this World Cup. And so if a guy like Kolyosho, Jebison, all these guys in Europe, you could kind of mix that 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 opportunity, if that makes sense, for the September window I'm, uh, I'm honing in specifically. Obviously, Qatar, you bring your experience, guys. Uh, you know, if you have room for a Kolyosho, et cetera, you go for it. But I'm talking September window here. Out of fear of maybe jumping the gun a little bit too much here, I understand he's only played two games for a combined total of about 30, 35 minutes. Do you think he's ahead of Stefan Mitrovic in the pecking order at this point? The fact he's playing in a top five league, we know Herbin prioritizes guys in that environment. We'll talk about Mitrovic in a bit, but that was something that just sort of popped into my brain here as, as we were having the conversation. That's a tough question because, I mean, I think Mitrovic is ahead based on what he's shown. I mean, that's one thing we can look at. But, yeah, it's the kind of qualifier. Like, what do you make of a 17-year-old who has 45 minutes in a top-five league versus, uh, I guess, 19-year-old as Mitrovic is who's got three, four years of pro work? So I think, personally, I'd take Mitrovic over Kolyosh if I'm making the choice now. Of course, this isn't a question of five to ten years. But, hey, I mean – Herdman, if it's a friendlies, if you can get Mitrovic in for these friendlies, because, uh, you know, of course, that's another one to consider. But uh, uh, it's it's tough because if Mitrovic isn't even in the picture, I'd go for Kolyosha anyways, because if Mitrovic comes in, he's not going to be a starter. He's going to be the 23rd guy. At least if Mitrovic isn't coming in, a 17 year old getting top five league minutes is not a bad guy to have in at the bottom of the roster now with the, an eye on the future. Fair enough. Uh, over in Belgium, Kyle Lahren had 15 minutes for Club Bruges in a win over Kortrijk as Noah Lang suffered an injury just four minutes after he came into the game and ended up getting replaced by Laren. Long has been ruled out now for a month with what I believe is an ankle injury. So can you see Laren grasping an opportunity here, considering that Kamal Soa actually got the start alongside Ferran Hutgla 
in that game and actually did pretty well. So there's kind of some competition there already with Long ruled out. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. One thing that's important uh, to mention is that snuck up on me as well. Bruges Champions League games coming up eventually because I, I forgot mm-hmm. they qualified straight to the group stages. Yes, they did. Uh, so, and of course, there's the Belgian Cup as well. You have to imagine at some point, Laren starts to get a run of minutes here as he's gotten integrated. He's had a preseason. He's had, you know, his, his chances. It's been a bit of a weird start to, to his career with, with Bruges. How, you know, in the first game he came on, but then he missed that penalty and that seemed to maybe affect his confidence a bit and as well as uh, the coach's confidence, in, you know, in him. So with Laren at Bruges, hopefully this run of, because with the guy like Laren, he's so streaky. You just know he needs that shot. You just know he needs that almost a start you get a goal or two and then he, he's always been a guy who gets the ball rolling but when games build up it accumulates he's always been prone to to those droughts as well he's a, he's a very feast or famine kind of number nine and i think right now with Bruges, these appearances off the bench i mean it's been good uh, you know Bruges is a good club he's been playing on a team that's been winning games but i think just for laren's style it would be nice to see him get a, a start because that's the kind of leeway that he'll need to to, to find his form and find his legs <laughs> It's a really precarious situation for him because it's obviously a concern that he isn't starting regularly, but at least he's coming off the bench in every game. The issue is, as you said, he isn't scoring or capitalizing on these sub-appearances and Hutgla is doing well in his starts. He's been on fire to start the season. Missing the penalty and failing to convert a couple of decent chances probably didn't help Laren's case either. Whether it affects his stock for Canada is another thing because... I think we'll have to see how he fares in September before judging whether he's lost a starting spot. He was all right against Curacao in June after sporadic appearances for Besiktas, so that maybe bodes well in terms of what we could maybe expect come September. Um, If he's rusty or struggles in both games, maybe it's time to have the conversation of playing Ugbo with David. If Ugbo can, you know, get up and running by the September window, maybe Lucas Cavallini sneaks in there because he's been really, really solid with the Whitecaps and probably deserves to start alongside David at this point, if we're being fair, um, maybe you put Davies up there and unleash that dynamic duo and then throw Liam Miller or, you know, whoever you want on the left wing. Um, Like there are many options there, but it's just a very interesting time for Canadian strikers in that way, because two of the guys who entered the June window probably is locked on guaranteed, probably in the contention to start are now potentially kind of on the brink of losing that place. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, a lot of questions for for Hardman to figure out in terms of his striking pool. I mean, for the most part, I think his four strikers he's going to, he's going to bring are pretty set. I think unless yeah. barring anything unforeseen, it's David, it's Laren, it's Ugbo, it's Cavallini. I mean, it would take something, you know, at this point, uh, you're looking at guys like, you know, Jebison, that's a very long term and you still have to convince him anyways. Guy like Theo Barry has been playing well, as we'll see, but, you know, he needs to to start getting some goals if he was going to get into conversation. Did it with a guy like an Iowa Canola, uh, you know, all, Jason Russell Rowe as well. You can throw all these guys in the mix. But, hey, the good news about all those guys is that they're young. So maybe for, for 2026. But uh, right now, in terms of the World Cup squad, it's the four has been set out pretty clearly. It's just the hierarchy is so unclear. Cause I think David is the only one you really know where the hierarchy is. He's going to start. He's been the guy for Canada thing is a guy like Laren is like, what do you do with him? He's been good with Canada as a starter and off the bench. Funnily enough, like, you know, at the club level, he's always struggled as a super sub yet for Canada. Yeah. He's 
fit in that role magically. So could he be a super sub? And do you get Cavallini's energy from the start? Or do you go with Ugbo and David, you know, as a partnership of Ugbo? There's so many complexities there. And I guess that kind of indicates the the rest of the lineup. And I think overall, this is, as we'll probably, you know, as we discuss all these positions, that's the one thing I've noticed about this being a World Cup year at the end of the year instead of in the summer. Yeah. Is that it's just this off season creates know, so man. many questions that you thought yeah. were locked in and it just opens up the possibilities that really makes for these further discussions. Another reason to hate a Winter World Cup. God, I hate it so much. Um, Tayshawn Buchanan, meanwhile, is targeting a September return from injury. It was expected that he would return to training late last week and then maybe be in contention for the weekend. That hasn't happened. The club is being careful. They're targeting a return in September once the Champions League and all that rolls around. Over in Portugal, Stefano Stacchio got another half an hour for Porto as they beat rivals Sporting 3-0. Once again, spectacular defensively to help Porto close out a massive victory. And Steven Vitoria started again for Chavish as they drew 1-1 with Vigela on Saturday. Really good to see him continuing to start after before the season began, we were all worried about whether Vittori was going to get the necessary playing time, and then he ends up getting regular starts, which is always good. And he was excellent in this game, too. Well, I mean, Steven Vittoria, it's, it's been nice to, to see him get back into the fold for Chavez. Nice couple of string of results, too. A couple of, yeah. uh, you know, get, picking up points, not getting necessarily the wins that they're going to need in the, the overall relegation fight. But uh, it's been good. Like, Vittoria, like you mentioned, been playing in a familiar position, too, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Chavez obviously sticking with the the back threes, you know, good for his the way he likes to play strong in the air, playing out the back, you know, maybe doesn't have the mobility at, at this age right. that he, he once did or ever really did. He's always kind of been this kind of center back. So it's been good to see for him. I think that's good news for the, the for Canada's center back situation. I think between in a back four, assuming Canada sticks to the back four, having a informed Stephen Vittoria and informed Kamal Miller on day one of the World Cup. Not a bad situation to find yourself in as you, as you face Belgium. I mean, yes, it's, you know, it's Belgium, it's Lukaku, it's De Bruyne, et cetera. It's, but uh, as far as, you know, some of the worries, like, are these guys going to be playing, et cetera, especially with Kamal Miller looking set to go to the playoffs. So that means this season will go longer. I think Canada's in an honestly not bad situation center back wise. I think if you're John Herdman, your only wishes right now are tfc start playing daniel henry with lucas mcnaughton please thank you uh, and then okay like scott kennedy start playing and then Derek cornelius and and waterman keep on pushing because other than that the center back situation has been great at the top and the, oh, the yeah. bottom it's just been that that middle tier that's been uh, a bit weird if anything very much so uh still Moatiba hutchinson who is nursing an injury and has yet to play for besiktas this season as a result so it leads to this from rude trude how concerned are you with Atiba's injury and lack of training and game time. Who do you see starting in the midfield at the World Cup? Not entirely concerned yet. It's only if this lingers into September, October time and he's getting bit part minutes at Besiktas, which I don't think will be entirely the case. Like, I think he'll still get the odd start. He probably just won't be playing, you know, a couple thousand minutes like we're used to seeing from him just due to the fact that he's gotten older and he's really only staying at Besiktas to have prepared for the world cup in the first place that's it it's he's he's about to turn 40 in less than uh six months which again he's dealing with muscle injuries they're taking his time i think he's earned that right with bashik test and he's also at a stage where he's he hasn't been shy in 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 taking days off and missing camps etc 
I think for to, to answer the question, if everyone's healthy, it's Tiba Hutchinson, Stefano Stacchio for the first game of the mm. World Cup. I think that much is clear. Saw it over qualifying. Tiba Hutchinson deserves to start in the, the first game of Canada's return to the World Cup in so long. It, it would feel criminal not to. Uh, but what this does consider, what this uh, or what this situation does show, it adds another layer to John Herdman's squad selection because we were talking about our depth charts at the top of the show. And one thing I, I said off riff before we started was, if I'm John Herdman, what the heck do you do with midfielders, center backs versus wingers? Because we're, you know, that was the hard and thing. Full we backs saying, in like, a way oh, too, yeah. Yeah. How do you include, you know, you want to include guys like Corbianu, Koliosho, Edwards, all these guys. The problem is Canada's midfield, are you assuming that there's going to be the five of Hutchinson, Ustakio, Piet, Osorio, K? There's just a rally that Hutchinson, you know, he's about to turn 40. Mm-hmm. You, you have that hanging over him. Kay has been dealing with some injuries this year that all of a sudden makes him look like less of the sure thing he was to be healthy than he was before. As we know, Azorio's history, injury history is well documented. All of a sudden, that could leave three of your five midfielders, uh, you know, at risk. It, you know, and you, normally you'd want to bring a group of five if you want to bring in some extra wingers. All of a sudden, a guy like a, an Ismail Kone or you know, a, a Victor Latouri is you could throw in a name into that hat. Stefan Mitrovic. Uh, some of these other David Weatherspoon, of course, also in that discussion, but his health is yes. also in the, is in the question. All of a sudden, the, the health of Canada's midfield could potentially sway Herdman to bring an extra center mid instead of an extra winger, an extra young youngster that like a Koliosho who you want to see and bring around for the experience. But you just might not know what you your your midfield depth might force you to to look elsewhere. That's just it, and it's one of many questions here. And honestly, the conversations we were having are going to be very similar to the conversations the coaching staff is happening because I'm sure they're stressing about this every day, kind of like we are, but that's not our problem, which is kind of nice. Um, In the championship, there was some midweek action as well as games over the weekend. Junior Hoylett scored in Reading's 3-0 win over Blackburn in midweek, then finished the 90 in a 1-0 victory against Middlesbrough on Saturday. Really good to see him continuing to thrive to start the year. And Theo Corbinu scored his first goal for Blackpool in a wild 3-3 draw with Burnley on Saturday. Not a bad way to respond to being withdrawn from last week's loss at Swansea at halftime, plus the bit part minutes in midweek against QPR. Uh, Full-time FC asked us this, with Corbinu having some impressive form for Blackpool in a top-quality league, showing a great ability to press the front line, is there a chance he gets a call-up? I believe it's much deserved. I'm in two camps with Corbinu, Alex, I feel, because like I can understand the merit, but then at the same time, he has kind of been up and down so far, which you're going to expect from a young player at the end of the day, especially when you're playing in a counterattacking system where you're kind of sitting deep for 80% of the game. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough because it's like in isolation. I think, you know, him getting the goal and finding his legs in a good league. Yeah, you'd like to 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 see him in the squad. It's just going to be a question of will he have you know done enough to win a, a spot over someone for the, the September camp, assuming it's say a twenty six, a twenty seven, a twenty eight man roster is where it lies for me. Because again, yeah, like you mentioned, inconsistency. I mean, it's only been a few games, uh, you know, with Corbinau, kind of the same with with Koliosho. So it's kind of I'd say similar answer to Koliosho. Let's see where he's at in a, in a few weeks' time, in a month. Because if he keeps this up, I think he, it's going to be hard to ignore. You know, so he's still so young, which is you know important to remember. Just nineteen, twenty. That we we talk a lot every show about the potential. So uh, we'll we'll take a break from that this week. But 
you know, he's, he's a player that when he's on his game, he can cause problems and he can be a different winger profile for, for Canada. So I just say he, if he keeps this up, he's certainly on the, the right track, but uh, much like with Coley Osho, you know, it's, it's early days. We just got to see where they progress from here. Well, that's just it. I mean, he was individualistic against Barrow in, in the Carabao cup. He was pretty invisible apart from the opening 10 minutes against Swansea and couldn't beat his man after that. He recovered well over the weekend, but still, didn't have many opportunities to get forward and impact the proceedings in the final third other than a few counters. That, I feel, has more to do with Blackpool's tactics than anything. It's been a regular theme in all the games I've watched so far. But the fact he got the goal will surely help. I do like that he is playing inverted on the left. He was a massive threat at left wing back, cutting onto his right at Sheffield Wednesday last year when he was there. So maybe that's how he pushes on, just kind of playing in that inverted winger position. But he's definitely going to have to improve his decision making on the ball. Burnley nullified Corbinu on the dribble repeatedly. So he must adapt to the physicality, the pace, and improve tactical IQ from championship defenders if he wants to push on. But regular minutes is going to help him achieve that. Daniel Jebison has not seen the pitch in three straight games now for Sheffield United, going as an unused substitute in wins over Sunderland and Blackpool over the last week. He's been linked with a possible loan away again, Alex. Do you think that's the method to kind of get him back on track here? Because it doesn't look like he's going to be getting anywhere close to regular minutes being fourth or fifth choice at Sheffield United. Yeah, I think ultimately that's probably going to be the uh, situation for for him under Paul Hackingbottom. Just for whatever reason, they 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 Sunder or not Sunderland Chiefs Sheffield United rates you know Daniel Jebison. They keep him around in the system. They heap praise on him. He's been getting minutes. It's just at this stage of his career, like if he's not going to have some sort of regular plan, if uh, you know if the plan is twenty minutes off the bench each week, if it's fifty minutes in a starting role. He's so young. Just let him go out on loan. It was mm. the strange thing when they recalled him just to not play him. Like, I get they want to have him around in terms of insurance, but it just feels like if you want an insurance policy, get a 27-year-old or a 35-year-old or something What you know what they are at this stage of their career. Uh, you know, if you're for an 18, 19-year-old, you either want them a role that's clearly defined or you want them out on loan. And unfortunately for Sheffield, we had hoped that it would be the, the, the former, but it appears that maybe the latter is the, the way to go just because uh, it's nice when he gets minutes in the championship. Don't get me wrong. He does, you know, he's, he's had good flashes, but those minutes can't be every three games for five minutes at a time. And they need to either be regular, like, you know, like we're seeing with the guy like Corbin now, or that, that move has to, to be elsewhere. So I think based on what we've seen from Sheffield United, if a, Good loan option comes up, take it. I couldn't agree more, honestly. Liam Miller went 90 minutes in Basel's 1-0 loss to CSKA Sofia in the first leg of their Conference League playoff matchup. The second leg is this Thursday at home. Milan Borian started in a 3-2 loss to Maccabi Haifa in the first leg of their Champions League playoff last week. Stefan Mitrovic had about 30 minutes in the second half in that one, but then Borian started the second leg in a 2-2 draw and at least in my opinion Alex was at fault for both of the goals, not so much the actual own goal but the actions that led to the free kick that led to the eventual winning goal for Maccabi Haifa. So as a result, Red Star dropped into the Europa League. Mitrovic was an unused sub in Tuesday's second leg, by the way. Um, but speaking of Mitrovic, full-time asked, 
Is there any new news around Stefan Mitrovic and the Tom Holmes situation? Also, are there any new Canadian dual nationals we could be looking at to bring in? Well, on Tom Holmes, I did a video with Josh at JJD TV to explain the situation, but in four words, nothing major has changed. But as for Mitrovic, this is the intriguing thing for me, Alex, because if he can get minutes again, because I know he's kind of been on the periphery in recent weeks, if he can get minutes in the Europa League or in the league here and there, he's probably going to start catching the attention of Canada if he hasn't already, not to mention Serbia too, who already know him very well, as we know. Yeah, I mean, again, with, with Mitrovic, if he can find regular minutes and keep up the form he showed last year and even at the start of this year, I 100% would have him in my list. It's, again, a question of will Herdman see the same things? Will he call him up? Will Mitrovic accept the call up? So, yeah, in that situation, it feels like a bit of a holding pattern there. It feels like we kind of need to to see some movement there. The good thing is with the World Cup coming up, we're going to probably see a pretty it's, it's going to be not an ultimatum, so to speak, but it's going to be a line that's going to have to be drawn eventually where if he wants to be in either Serbia or Canada's squad, you'd have to think, for, you know, he's he's involved in their September camps, for example, or is, you know, this or that. So I think we'll, we'll finally see a bit more movement on that soon. But for now, it's just, okay, get those minutes uh, and, you know, go from there. And otherwise, in terms of dual nationals, I mean, nothing major for now. Obviously, there's an increasing amount of youngsters moving to, to European leagues with who happen to hold Canadian dual nationality, triple nationality. I keep seeing them all the time. For the, so for now, it's just, okay, uh, can any of them break through and, and and find that that next level? Peter probably knows more about that. Some are closer to doing that. But I think right now we're kind of at a point where there's a lot of them there. We're just waiting for one to, to get a call up to a first team and then uh, the appropriate frenzy, as we we, we like to call it in Canada, will we'll follow. On that subject, um, another name to watch in that regard is Amir Bachirev, formerly of the Whitecaps and TFC Academies, but was most recently in the Whitecap system. He got around 25 to 30 minutes for Sochi off the bench in their 3-0 loss to Spartak Moscow last week in the Russian Premier League, and he got another 10 minutes in a 2-2 draw with Rostov this weekend. He's played on the left wing, he's looked lively off the bench, has really good technique and, and change of pace and close control, and the fact he's now gotten three appearances in the first team off the bench is quite promising, to be honest, so he's going to be one to watch. Over in the Netherlands, uh, Charles Andreas Brim had a few minutes late in Sparta Rotterdam's 1-0 loss to Ajax on Sunday. He seemingly struggled with the pace and physicality of the Eredivisie in his first two appearances so far, though. Might that be a hurdle for Brim to lock down consistent minutes, Alex? And what I mean by that is... It's almost like a chicken or the egg situation in that in order to get regular minutes, he has to impress with the opportunities he gets. But then if he struggles to adapt to the new environment, he's probably not going to get too many opportunities anyways. That one's for for that one. Again, I guess it's a common theme on today's show. I'm I, I'm again in a holding pattern. I guess that's my, <laughs> my, my, my mood. But it's just because the one thing I notice is right away when looking at it, it's the first two opponents. I mean, Talk about a baptism by fire for, for Charles Andreas Brim. Your two first games in the Eredivisie, it's AZ Alkmaar, mm-hmm. fifth last year in the table, consistently a, a threat for European places. And then you go out and get Ajax, the Giants. So 
uh, you know, it's not to say that, yes, I think Charles Andreas Brim at his best can, you know, be a problem in those sorts of games. I just think if you're going from the second division up to the first division, that's not necessarily the two first games you'd, you'd want, say. You'd probably want another team like a Sparta Rotterdam to, to find your legs. So I think I, I just want to see him continue to ease in. I think, you know, maybe see how he does against the mid-table Eredivisie side first, let him find his legs and then find that consistency because it's like you mentioned, yeah, if he, you know, he's looking shaky against a team like, you know, in his first games, it's going to be hard for him to get minutes, yes, but also if he's looking shaky against an Ajax, I mean, that's an Ajax we're talking about. This is a top club. This is a club that, you know, we're, we're, we're talking caliber. This is a top five league club. It just, you know, they don't play in a top five uh, league. So that's the one thing that made me, Maybe makes for now makes me not worry so much. I mean, I suppose we're gonna have to see how he integrates, but I just think in terms of the first two games that he got, certainly got no favors done there. No, he didn't. But the good news is, as I look at Sparta Rotterdam's fixture list here, they've got go ahead Eagles, Volendam, and then they got Feyenoord on the 11th, but then Groningen, Volvic, um, Emin, NEC. So they got some pretty winnable fixtures in their next few here outside of maybe that that Feyenoord match, uh, which is, I suppose, good news. Um, Scott Kennedy played the entire second half for Jan Regensburg in a crushing 6-0 loss to Karlsruher. Kennedy was at fault for the fourth goal after he turned over possession, which led to the eventual strike. Derek Cornelius, meanwhile, finished the 90 minutes in Panatolikos's Greek Super League opener versus Pauk. We'll probably talk more about them in a mailbag question a little later on. Theo Bear started again for St. Johnston in a 1-0 loss to Aberdeen. He has started every game for the club this season, which is kind of cool to see. Um, at Ross County, Ben Payton and Victor Loturi were unused substitutes as County beat Kilmarnock 1-0 on Saturday. Switching over to MLS, where Dane St. Clair picked up another win as Minnesota United beat Austin 2-1 on Saturday night. That's now two solid performances for St. Clair after claiming MVP honors in the All-Star game. So, safe to say he's cured his case of the yips? Yep, I mean, uh, I guess this is one of the instances for... I guess we're going to use, uh, for all the holding patterns I've been dropping today uh, <laughs> in the show, I dropped one on Dane Sinclair a few weeks ago, and safe to say that it was indeed just, uh, you know, he's been doing so much for Minnesota. I think all he needed was a confidence-boosting game, and to be fair, there's not many more. Uh, I mean, I, I guess on paper, it's who would have thought the All-Star game was what he needed to, to, to find uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the form back. But, I mean, to be fair, you get an MVP trophy in an All-Star game. That's a pretty big honor for him and that's obviously uh gotten him back in, up and up and running so good to see for dane sinclair minnesota are gonna need him because again their defense remains uh something to behold and uh <laughs> all of their playoff hopes lie on, on him and i think that's it's gonna be good for him to get that pressure because either way no matter what happens in goal between borean and then you know now with with max crepo and dane sinclair long term canada's a very well in in, in pretty good hands uh, long-term. So good to see Dane Sinclair back, uh, you know, to the form he was before. Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of which, Maxime Crepeau got two starts this past week in a 1-0 win over DC United on Tuesday, followed by Saturday's 2-1 defeat 
to the San Jose Earthquakes. Raheem Edwards started for the LA Galaxy in a crazy 3-3 draw with the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Alex, you wrote about his progress, plus you watched him live when he played against Vancouver down in Carson, California. Beautiful Carson, California, I've heard. Uh, Do you actually think he has a shot at making the World Cup squad based on what you've seen? Yeah, I think... uh... For, for Raheem Edwards, there's a lot of that's going in his favor. I mean, he's playing week in and week out on a solid Galaxy side. Uh, he's been working under a, a Greg Vanny, who, as we've known, is has a pretty good hunch for converting Canadian midfielders and wingers into fullback. Shout out Richie Larea. Yeah. Um, and then most importantly, because you know, it doesn't matter how good you're playing because it depends on who you're up against, the left-back position, there's a little uncertainty about around it heading into this you know, World Cup. Cup, as we see throughout qualifiers when Christian Gutierrez was getting calls, Canada certainly doesn't mind having an extra body just because I think we're going to see Alfonso Davies moved up the field. I think we saw nice. a hint of it uh, during the, the 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 June window. We heard Herdman's chatter. I, you see the opponents they're up against. I think that's going to be Canada's kind of X factors. Okay, we're going to let Davies and David run the show and then go from there. And what that means is you're going to want cover beyond Sam Adekugbe because yes, you have Alfonso Davies' cover for Sam Adekugbe, which is not bad at left back. But I don't think Herdman is going to want to sacrifice Davies up the field to play left back unless that's already explicitly his tactical plan. And I'm just looking at these teams. The only team I could see him potentially playing left back at at the World Cup is probably uh, against Mar- Morocco. So I'm looking at that. I think Canada's going to need left back to cover. And you look between Gutierrez, who is now playing for Whitecaps FC2 after whatever the heck's going on with him in the Whitecaps. <laughs> Raheem Edwards is, is up next. And even going beyond the circumstances, there's a lot to like with Raheem Edwards' game. Uh, that was the first time I'd seen him in person after having watched him on TV. And the thing is with a position like left back, uh, when you're watching and assessing those sorts of players, it's always about details. And, you know, what does he do off the ball? What does he do on the ball? And there, he showed a lot of good things that that prove that, okay, this is, you know, someone who's adapted to the left-back position. Just he would always stretch the field. He calls for the ball. He wants the ball. When he has the ball, he pushes it forward. He loves to dribble. His, his percentile stats for his dribbling are, are among the best at the league at his position and even at other positions. He's constantly putting in good balls into the, the box. He's making good passes, especially into the middle, which is a huge part of how the LA Galaxy plays. So from what I saw, his he was very detail-oriented in good ways. Uh, and you add that to the flashiness and explosiveness he can also sometimes bring on top of that. I think you just look at the left-back sharp. It makes a lot of sense for him to, to assuming that, that Herdman is going to move Davies up the field. I think Edwards certainly has earned a spot behind Adekugbe at the World Cup. I completely see what you're seeing, and no doubt about it, he's a ball-progressing machine. I think he's in the 97th percentile for deep progressions in MLS among, I don't think even just his positional peers, but like all wide players, like we're talking forwards or fullback, which is really quite impressive. The only reason I don't think he gets into the World Cup squad is... I feel like, and this could just be based on Herdman's preferences. I feel like he's going to want to add a little more depth to the midfield and to the center back positions. You've got Larea who can play on the left if you need in an emergency situation. Davies can play there. And I do feel like Edwards, at least in transition, like he does progress the ball a lot, but does turn it over a lot and then therefore gets beaten on the dribble quite often. So that would be my one reservation to not bring him. But 
if you're looking for someone to progress the ball constantly and maybe kind of play in like that tweener fullback midfield kind of hybrid role, he's an option. And honestly, he can prove me wrong between now and November with the September window coming up, not to mention a possible friendly before the World Cup in Doha in November as well. Moving on to League 2, where Diadine Abzi had 27 minutes for Pau in a 3-0 loss to Sochaux. He's been playing on the left wing the last three games, so it's safe to say he won't be playing at fullback anytime soon. Uh, Justin Smith was once again omitted from the matchday squad for KVE, who drew nil-nil with Valenciennes. So this leads to a question from Nordic G. Any update on the status of Justin Smith? Uh, he was in the matchday squad, ironically, before the San Etienne match a week ago, but then didn't make the the bench now qrm have called up about 20 to 21 players before naming a seven-man bench in their first few games this season so smith was ultimately one of the players who missed out against Senna Tien. he's also been listed notably as a midfielder for the two games he's been called up for and there's a ton of competition in the midfield and they've got a pretty settled backline right now to be honest as well so it's a very unfortunate situation but this is smith's first proper go in this sort of environment so he has to fight for a place now the good news is qrm hasn't started well so perhaps changes are going to be on the horizon Ariban Peppel had a half hour for Grimsby Town in a nil-nil draw with Sutton United in League Two over the weekend, and another 45 minutes on Tuesday as well, coming on as a starter in that one. He's now had four appearances since joining on loan from Luton Town. So Fulltime FC asked, what are your guys' current thoughts on Peppel's start to English football with Grimsby Town? Well, firstly, Alex... Great sign that he's gotten a sizable chunk of minutes in three or four games already. And I'd say he's been all right. Hasn't had too many looks at goal yet, but he's coped with the physicality well, which is always crucial. He's been an effective outlet, holding up the ball well, spreading it nicely. He's worked hard off the ball, constantly pressing opponents. And as long as you do those little things well, the rest eventually fall into place. Yeah, and I think there's been good signs. I mean, there's just the fact that game over game, he's getting more minutes. He's elevated to a starting position. Today, unfortunately, Grimsey lost to Premier League side Nottingham Forest in the Carabao Cup. But Peppel was entrusted with the start in that game, which again is a huge sign of confidence from your manager to to play you in a, such a you know a big fixture like that. And you just look at the games as well. There's been progress. I look, you know, it is League Two games, and the most recent one over the weekend, he had two or three sh- shots, and good shots yes. off the bench, including one on a breakaway where he just couldn't find the back of the net and. Uh, you know, he's getting into the right areas, which is a good start for a striker. I think what's going to be good about playing in League Two is that he's really going to get a, to work on the details that, especially for a big striker like himself or key to work on, he's going to have to deal with a lot of big center backs. He's going to get used to navigating his body, holding up the ball, but also making runs in behind. So, so far, I'm I'm encouraged by what I'm, I'm seeing. Obviously, with a striker, you're going to want to see him get goals eventually, but with how young he is and this being, I guess, you know, his... So, you know, already it's wild to think he's only 19, but this is somehow his third pro season, but his first, obviously, in a European professional environment before he's with the U21s of Getafe. It's going to be good for him just to get this rhythm, get these minutes. And so far, I've been encouraged by the fact that Grimsey has entrusted a lot of uh, trust in, in him by playing him a lot so early since uh, being coming in on loan. 
for sure. hundred percent. Finally, to close out the, the roundup section, uh, Richie Ennen had a goal and an assist to help, uh, Honved edge Vasas 2-1 in Hungary. We'll move on now to some other mailbag questions here, beginning with Dan Clark. Which CanMNT players' stock is rising or falling leading up to the September friendlies? I feel like we've discussed quite a few of these guys, Alex, but if you had to pick one or two maybe in each category if you want, who would they be for you? In terms of rising, it's it's been a bit of a mixed start at the European level. So if I'm looking at guys there, maybe Stefan Ustakio. If we're looking at guys in the can MNT picture, sorry to a guy like uh, Victor Latouri, unfortunately, in this case. But in, t- in terms of guys in the can MNT, that 25-30, I'd say Stefan Ustakio over in Europe. Then, you know, guys in, in MLS like Johnston, uh, you know, Edwards, Waterman, so defenders. And then I'm if you're looking at stocks down, uh, on the other hand, I mean, Scott Kennedy is certainly a situation yeah. oh, to yeah. monitor the, the lack of minutes, uh, you know, left center back, especially Derek Cornelius breathing down on his neck. Heck, if, if you know, you could even give an argument that Joel Waterman gets included, even if he's not a left footer, just because he's been that good, that if that's the way you get him in your squad, you get him in your squad uh, one way or another. And, you know, and otherwise, I'd say the only, you know, unfortunate stock is a guy like K just that his injuries, because it, it's really unfortunate that the TFC has been fully healthy, except him. I really want to see how he could he'd grow and progress in this lineup with Bernadeschi and Signe, uh, you know, Bradley, Osorio, etc. So not a knock on K's play by any means, but I just think it, 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 you know, considering all the questions in midfield, it would be nice to see him balling out for, for Toronto FC right now and and answering a lot of questions. Yeah, the most interesting faller for me is by far Scott Kennedy, because I was actually going to ask you what you thought about Cornelius's chances for September and the World Cup as well, if this continues, because it's a major factor. I've spoken about how recent national team form does count for a lot, and Kennedy has been very good when called upon, so I do think he ultimately goes. But if he doesn't play a whole lot, and Cornelius does, while making notable strides with his distribution and positioning, it's going to be very difficult to keep him out. And another guy I look at as a faller through circumstances that he had no control over is Tejon Buchanan, because I doubt he loses a place and he'll be fine come World Cup time, but that does give an upper hand to the Lareas and the Hoylets of the world, especially when you consider Hoylet has played in this free-roaming right wing-back role for Reading and has been absolutely sensational, plus Lareas back in form, and it's quite crazy how those fortunes have completely changed for Lareas and Buchanan um, now that September is kind of approaching here. Then there's the guys like, you know, Atiba Hutchinson, who haven't played for Besiktas yet due to injury. And he'll be in the same boat as Buchanan, but with some intriguing midfield competition, whether that's from David Watherspoon's potential late push to Liam Fraser and Ismail Kone, there isn't going to be a lot of margin for error. And then Joel Waterman really highlights the risers, as we've discussed many times on this podcast. And the fact he can now play on the left side, which you've touched on, is going to be a bonus for him. Yeah, and I think it shows, you know, the the form and the discussion right now. Interestingly enough, I feel like a lot of the North American guys have done super well this summer. Like oh, there yeah. haven't been many yeah. who, like, it's been surprising between the, even on the Canadian teams. Heck, you look at all these these guys. Heck, you know, Whitecaps. These these are two guys that probably won't be in the mix. But you look how good 
you know, consistently Reiner Post and Marcus Godinho have been, and even yep. Thomas Assault coming back from injuries all of a sudden looks decent. So North American players have been doing well. The European players, I'm waiting for that bump. Funnily enough, we've seen this pre-camp bump. We're one month away from Canada's next camp. I do feel that will help the likes of a Laren and a Buchanan and uh, et cetera, find a bit of form. But uh, yeah, certainly an interesting state of the team right now, as we've seen as they head into the September window, a lot has changed yeah. uh, since June, even if it's the squad itself might only see one or two, three changes from that squad. It's going to be interesting to see some of these changes reflected within the hierarchy with guys like Laren, Buchanan, versus risers like Hoylet and, you know, and some Larea and some of these other guys, it's really shows how fluid things are, you know, in the run up to the world cup. And also just how fickle the sport can be, right? Cause one week you can be on top of the world. The next week, everything can completely change for you. Right. Full-time FC. Can you guys do a ranking of the top three Canadian players to get a transfer leading up to the deadline? The ones that come to mind for me, Alex would be number one is Scott Kennedy especially with him finalizing yes. an agreement with a new agency who apparently has good connections at bigger clubs than Jan Regensburg. He has to get the hell out if he isn't starting. Number two, I'll go Daniel Jebison for the sole reason that I don't think he's going to play enough at Sheffield United. And at 19, he has to be playing every week. Number three, I threw him in there because I couldn't really think of anyone else, but Sam Atakubi, because he's a case of if he can get a bigger move and regular minutes with it, then absolutely take it. If not, it's not a big deal at all. Yeah, I mean, for, for mine, it's a little tough just because I think a lot of the guys I'd want to move all play in MLS, and I'd rather have them finish out yeah. their seasons and then make a move maybe post-World Cup. They get a little bit of a stock boost, and then they move ahead of next year. So that's guys like Dane Sinclair. That's your Alistair Johnstons, your Kamal Millers, you know, that sort of crew of people. So I think that kind of modifies the guys. Because if you're looking at guys I want transfers now – so I think if you know we're gonna look at those sort of guys, I would have said Richie Larea, funnily enough, before he went back yeah. on loan. So you'll, you'll have to remove him from that discussion. But I think Scott Kennedy has to be one. That's a a pretty fair situation uh, to to suggest. I mean, if not, I mean Sam Adekugbe. If, if someone comes calling, if they need left back cover, it would make a lot of sense for for him to consider. Uh, you know, such a move. I mean, uh, but other than that, I mean, a lot of guys have already made moves or you know are already in sort of like, you know, guys like Brim and Laren and all so those guys have already made moves to, to to new clubs. So there's really not many. I mean, other than maybe Derek Cornelius, like I feel like he could do, he could be, you know, maybe playing at a bit of a better level than he already is right now. So maybe he could be a guy that could, could push up just because he's so far shown well, but that's the complexities of being on loan as he is. Michael Lefebvre, with the September window being played, in Europe, does this give us a better chance at seeing some of our top young dual nationals and national team players from over in Europe at least attend camp? Players like Theo, Jebison, Mitrovic, and Kolyosho, among others. Yeah, absolutely. And we've touched on this already, but it, it certainly cannot hurt the prospects of calling in any of these guys. Well, that's it. It's what I mentioned off the top. You're in Europe. Uh, you're close to a lot of these guys. It wouldn't hurt to bring in a bloated squad just because you obviously have your two friendlies against, you know, Qatar and Uruguay. Those are going to be very important. But, you know, as Herdman has shown, he loves to spar. And, and in this case, you're not going to be able to bring in a U of Toronto to spar with. You're not going to be able to bring in a, a squad of MLS journeymen to to spar with as he's done. So it would make sense to, to, to you know, bring in guys like 
Corbianu, Jebison, etc. And, you know, use them for inter-squad and just to get a taste of, of training. So I do wonder if he brings a bit of a bloated squad and maybe he'll he'll call, you know, even if you bring in a Coley Ocean, call him a training player. At least I think you have more of a realistic shot of doing this being an international window and where they are located. So, yeah, 100%. I'd like to to see them capitalize. Heck, call a Lucas Diash. Call in some of these other guys who have been, you know, who are around in close who could uh, be willing to, to make the track over. Well, I think we can rule out Jeppesen for a few reasons, because I don't think he's ready to commit yet. And I don't think he'd offer anything right now. And the focus has to be World Cup prep after you lost valuable time in June. And does he really get in over any of the four striking options right now? Even with Ugbo and, and Laren kind of trying to get back up to speed? I personally don't think so. Um, Corbinu, Mitrovic, and Kolyosho, as we've mentioned, all have shots, especially if guys like Buchanan aren't ready in time. I do have a funny feeling, though, Kolyosho comes back into the fold somehow. I, I don't know why. It's just some weird intuition that I have here. Moving on to a question from Full Time. With it being three months until we play Belgium at the World Cup, who would be your guys' early World Cup lineup Predictions. So very early lineup predictions here. Um, Alex, he, here's what's Write crazy. Write this down, I might add. We have to revisit these in the future. Actually, that's Just a good call. Curiosity. Let, let's do that, actually. Okay. So I'll keep it in my notes from here on out. I feel like the best way to do, to do this, as I explain my rationale for what I'm going to go for here, is you have to play with a trio here. I know that they've gone to a double pivot. You have to play with three because Kevin De Bruyne likes to lurk in that right half space, as we know. Yes, Belgium tends to play with a double pivot themselves, but you just have to have extra cover and then that extra protection for the wingbacks to kind of maybe launch counterattacking outlets. So for that reason, I have gone with a 3-5-2 of Borean, and then from right to left, we're going to go... This is in possession. It can go 4-4-2 out of possession if you really want it to, but... Johnston, Vittoria, and Miller. So nothing really changes in that regard. Then you got Buchanan, Eustachio, Hutchinson, one of Hoylet or Osorio as the third midfielder. Then Adekubi on the left. If you really want to, you can switch him out for Lorea. Then David and Davies up front. That is what I would do. Something like that based on current form for the national team mixed in with some club form. Yeah. Funnily enough. I mean, I just wrote mine down and, uh, Shock, shock. It's pretty much identical, just different <laughs> formation. I had it down as a 4-3-3 slash 4-4-2 just because uh, the thing is, I have, you know, Boran and Gold, Johnson, Victoria Miller at a Kugby flat back four. I think Johnson gets in over Lurid just based on the fact he can shift as a center back. He yeah. can get up the pitch. He kind of has that, that all around that you're going to need in a game like this. You're going to need, need to be tactical flex, uh, tactically flexible. Uh, and then from there, I mean, I have Buchanan, Davies, and David kind of in that front three slash front four. And then obviously Hustachio and Hutchinson are my two. You you said Hoylet, which is a shout. I personally have a Zorio in, but if Hoylet keeps this up, I think he gets in over Zorio. But I just think uh, I have a Zorio myself personally in. So it, it's one I'm looking. It could be a 4-3-3. It could be a 3-5-2. It could be a 4-4-2. It's a pretty versatile formation. But yes. <laughs> exact personnel is yours. Look at that. Yeah, man, I'm a Hoylet truther, always have been. I know Osorio's been on fire. And like, honestly, if you want to put Osorio in there, would not complain whatsoever. But I just feel like with Hoylet's ability to play out wide, as well as the fact that he can kind of play all over the pitch 
And he has at times kind of tucked in to play like an inside left midfield roll off the ball. There's a lot of flexibility there. Not that Osorio can't provide that, but I'm just a massive fan of Junior Hoylet. So maybe it's a little bit of bias on my part. Well, um, so am I. I'm just, it's hard to leave out a guy like Osorio. Yeah, so. that's fair. I mean, the way that's I see fair. it is 30 minutes. Well, the thing is it's five subs, which is, that's going to be a huge game changer at the wrinkle. World Cup. But I'm yeah. just saying, Richie Larea and Junior Hoylet lining up as your first two subs uh, at the 60th minute with even adding Mark Anthony nice. Kane to that mix is, is not a bad little trio to add into the game in this yeah. situation. So, heck, I'll, those are my sub predictions. I'm going to make Hoylet, let's go. and Larea. Let's let's do it. Let's just get them out. Laren, too. Make it a quad yeah. sub. Those are going to be the first four subs. You're only allowed three windows. <laughs> So, yeah, you kind of got to get in all the subs there as quickly as you can. Uh, we'll close it out with this. Edward Hansing Wong asked, preference on development models, the TFC slash Whitecaps model of MLS Next Pro or Montreal of PLSQ and CanPL loans? I-, I feel like there's no one right answer with any of these questions here because like it just depends on the player and the fact that you do have so many options now to develop canadian players is a massive blessing i'd like to say my preferred is basically just a combo of both yeah, <laughs> i like fair. what tfc and whitecaps have done of their mls next pro sides the whitecaps in particular but even tfc they've gotten a good string of results uh, with their team so i've liked that having a second team is integral just for that kind of you know, that that balance between, okay, you're going from playing U19 soccer to playing against men professionally at the top level. And I think it's also nice what, what I've liked about the Whitecaps in particular. You've also been able to use the second team to bring in guys like an Ungaro who you'd want to bring in, but maybe you don't want to be committing to a first team or a Lowell right to have him develop. So I think that that second team provides such a good transition for your guys in your academy, but also other youngsters where you're looking at youngsters who excite you in the CPL. You don't have to, you know, have the pressure of, okay, I'm going to sign this guy. He's going to have to be on my MLS roster or else I have an extra guy. Like you can have that transition. But what I love with Montreal, which I also think it's worth mentioning them, their loans have been fantastic. I've been, I was thinking about it the other day during the, because I got stuck on the, uh, not stuck because it was a great game. That feels like the wrong word, but I was on duty for campiel.ca on Ottawa versus Calvary and there happened to be an hour lightning delay. And I was bored and I was thinking, so there's a lot of Montreal loanees I've been watching. The fact that Montreal has John Anil Asi, Karifa Yao, Sean Rea, Jonathan Sirwa, all on loan to the Crazy. CPL uh, is just like ridiculous. And I think I love that model of these guys who are going on loan. They're dominating the CPL. They're doing well. They're showing good things and they're all going to be able to come back in and all of a sudden you have a potential Georgi Mihailovic replacement in Rea and then you got a goalkeeper option Sirwa you've got a Camacho replacement and Yao uh, you know Janineel SC is such an electric player on the wing too I feel like he almost doesn't get talked about enough within no, the, the Montreal quadrant of uh, loans so I, I do like that that balance I think if you can find a balance where guys that are closer to the pro team or just maybe in their situation, maybe if they're a bit younger, like kind of mix and match between maybe if your MLS next pro team has five goalkeepers, you loan two of them out to the CPL, or maybe if you're heavier in one position, I think a perfect world is a bit of a mix of both. Completely agree with that, to be honest, only because development is not linear. There are many different ways you can go about it at the end of the day. In MLS, Toronto FC suffered two crucial blows to their playoff chances, drawing 2-2 with the New England Revolution on Wednesday before losing 2-1 to Inter-Miami 
on Saturday. Got a variety of questions regarding TFC here. So let's start with this one from full time. With Jonathan Osorio's unbelievable form this year for TFC, having nine goals and four assists, is there any chance we see him finally earn that move abroad or will he just stay at TFC the rest of his career? I've brought this up so many times, Alex, but the symmetry between 2018 and 2022 is uncanny because you got an expiring contract. You have a career season for Osorio. Yes, he's four years old. He's not 26. He's 30 now. If he does well at the World Cup and he does not sign a contract with TFC, I could see a club in Belgium or someone of that stature ending up taking a flyer on him for a couple of years because he'd be a valuable signing. It's a low-risk signing. And he's a fully-fledged Canadian international with at what that point would be World Cup experience. I feel like he can't really lose. Now, if he j- decides to stay at TFC, that's totally fair enough. It was fair enough when he decided to stay and take more money. If that's the route he goes this time again, then fair enough for him. But I, I'm just saying the European option is there. thing is it. Feels like there's no bad option for Jonathan Azoria right now because the thing is, it's not like say that if had this season been happening in 2020, this would have been tough because you could have been like, oh, you want him to go to Europe, you want him to push. There's the World Cup, but the next World Cup's not for four years after this. So mm-hmm. it's like at this point, it's like okay, you're not doing a move to Europe just so you want to improve your World Cup hopes. And the thing is, he's been so good with Toronto, and he's been such a club legend for them. It would make sense for him to stick around. They throw him a good bag. He continues to be a good ambassador for the club and a guy who's been through the Giovinkos, the Altadors, the Defoes, all the way to the Bernadeskis and Signes. It's not a bad thing to have if your TFC is you continue this transition, but there are options. I mean, yeah, if a club in Europe comes calling, he has the play style for it. It would help his national team aspirations. He has mentioned many times that he wants to play at the 2026 World Cup. Well, maybe playing in a Belgian top flight team might be a way for him to to help, you know, help those aspirations. But also, who knows? Maybe some teams in MLS as a free agent, he could be valuable. I mean, you know, if I'm a Vancouver, even if I'm a Montreal, this probably oh, would never that. happen. But if I'm a Montreal, <laughs> throw a bag at him. You need a player like that, that kind of second, you know, underneath for one of the tens, your Georgie Mihailovic replacement. He's, he's, he's counts as a domestic. You get him as a non DP, you throw a bag at him. So I, I think there'll be good Rhea. options. Let's go. Come on. With, oh, oh, don't get me too excited like that. That's a, that's a potential number 10 underneath Kyoto. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that would be fun for Montreal to, to see what that trio would look like. But I'd say for Azorio, just consider your options and go from there. If Europe comes calling, take it. I think if not MLS, there could be some heck. There's probably some teams in the U.S. Yes, he'd count as international, but tell me some teams who are looking for that that sort of player. He could provide that value. So I think he's getting in, he's becoming a free agent at a perfect time for himself. And honestly, if anything, just the worst time for Toronto FC, just because you'd want to re- retain him, and there might be too many options for him to be able to resist and move this time around. That's just it couple questions here um, on Jaden Nelson, starting with Edward Hansing Wong, who asked, Nelson seems to really divide the TFC fan base. While I find he seems to have very good chemistry with the Italians and has done well, others seem to find him to be a liability with terrible football IQ. Why does he attract this love him or hate him attitude and what is your assessment? And a similar question here from Slat, who asked, Lots of eyes on Euro-based dual nationals, rightfully so, but if he maintains good form given his club level, playing time and quality of players, the Italians, 
are and prominent figures in the Canadian men's national team slash MLS, why not Jaden Nelson for a September call-up? Hoylet's understudy. That one, I feel, is probably going to be a bit of a too little, too late situation just because they're going to be prioritizing World Cup preparation. But in terms of our assessment on him, I quite like what Jaden Nelson's brought the last few weeks, Alex. And honestly, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by it because when you look at just how he started the season and how he has done before, he was always very frustrating with his decision-making, and he still does bring that from time to time in how he hesitates on the ball when an option is available, but he's generating regular shot-creating actions now. He's combining well with Crescito and Insigne as part of that triangle, and, and both of those guys are going to help him grow as a player. Let's be completely honest about that. And as a left-sided midfielder in the trio who will occasionally push forward— I think he's been more than fine in that role, and it's going to be quite difficult, I think, for Mark Anthony Kay to reclaim his place. I still think he'll eventually start, that's for sure, once he's like fully up and ready to go, but I don't think there's as big of a rush to bring back Kay just because Nelson has been pretty solid in replacing him. Yeah, I mean, Jaden Nelson, uh, ultimately, I think a lot less to like with him because I think you, I see the fresh... The thing is, I'm always more patient with wingers because let's be honest. Have you who's who's ever met a non-frustrating winger? That's just the reality of a winger. When you have you're in a position where you're taking guys in one v one, you're always going to be frustrating. And uh, you know it's always good to have a winger who's taking guys on. Obviously, he's adapted to a bit of this number eight role, which is different. I, I've liked his technical uh, ability that he's shown in that role. Uh, you know, especially uh, in person when I was able to watch him at field level in the Canadian Championship final, he was super fun to watch. And I mean, he's just about to turn 20, I think it is. He's a 2002 yes, yeah. uh, birthday. So he's still super young. I think, if anything, it, sh- it shows well for his long term canamity, you know, aspirations. Like you mentioned, it's for me, it's not necessarily too little too late for this year around. I think it's just wrong position. I think it's just going to be too, there's too much going on at that position for him to to win it unless he goes and does something spectacular, which is going to be very hard at this stage of the campaign. But I do like his future long-term. There's a reason why Anderlecht gave him a look last year during the offseason for their youth setup. He's got very good technical skills, and I think he gets into good areas on the pitch. So for him, like a lot of millions of young wingers around the world, it's just about consistency and decision-making and and finding knowing when to to do these moments because the skill is there. The, the, the speed, the tools are there. It's just the, that last putting it all together. Chris talks. What position should TFC use its last DP spot on? For me, it is midfield, long-term Michael Bradley replacement, which will create depth and allow rotation, even if Osorio stays as a max TAM player. I hope MB4 will be at a lower cap hit next season. Our natural midfield depth is Thompson and Okello. That's how I would invest the money. I just feel, though, Alex, that the club is going to invest in a DP striker just based on who they've been linked with the entire summer. Yeah, I don't know. The DP striker, um, you've already invested too money. It's two DP wingers, if I'm not mistaken, right? Bernadeschi yeah. is indeed a, a DP winger. Yes. So if you already you've kind of strayed from convention by going for two DP winners. Typically, teams only usually get one and then go for the DP striker. I think based on what we've learned from teams, this is I'm going to lean into a thing that we that I read in the famed Soccernomics book. You don't need a DP number, a good number nine, if you've got a good team around feeding chances. You just need a competent one who can finish. And you have a youngster like an Iowa and all. You already have a 
pretty good value deal in Jesus Jimenez, who's not a DP striker, but when he's been on his game, has been producing like one. Obviously, he's fallen off a bit as of late, but I haven't forgotten what he did at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think if you're you're looking at the way TFC plays, hundred percent a CDM, CDM, no doubt. You already got Kay Nazorio as well. Assuming say Nazorio leaves. You can probably find another number eight within MLS with the jam they have, et cetera, a, a TAM number eight. But you look at the way that the number six is to their system, how good Michael Bradley's been for them over the years on the offensive side of things. And, you know, mostly up until patches of this year, how good he's been defensively. If you can get a replacement for him, who's a DP, go for it. I mean, the, the joke I jokingly make, but it's true. If I was TFC, how good would a guy like an Andres Kubas look in their midfield right now? He's that exact sort of destroyer number Man. six where a guy who he can progress the ball and play it to guys in front of him. So I 100% agree with, with Chris Talks there. A DP number six is that kind of missing link where if they can get a guy who can defend really well, I think that's the biggest thing based on their system. But if they can get that Atuesta, that Kubas, mm. that sort of defensive yeah. destroyer, but a guy with strong progressive skills – the only way you're going to be able to afford a guy like that, first of all, is by making him a DP. But I think that's the exact player that they're missing because they have the d- dynamic wingers. When you have the dynamic wingers, you don't need a world beater number nine. And heck, a guy like Iowakanola has shown potential. They have the midfielders. They're slowly building up the def- defensive depth to tie it all together. That's the DP number six. KJ at Winnipeg Genito. Can you comment on the prospective quote unquote upgrades to BMO Field? Would this not be the perfect opportunity to finally create a national stadium for our Can MNT and Can WNT instead of whatever the cereal box patchwork equivalent <laughs> is? Um, couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest with you. But it's exactly what I expected, Alex. Temporary stands in the north and south ends with very little remodeling for the whole stadium. It's giving me Yekaterinburg 2018 World Cup vibes with those temporary stands in the, I believe it's the south end. Um, And it's why BC Place is likely getting the majority of games in Canada. While it is cavernous and definitely not a world-class venue, it's at least capable of hosting big events and has a history of doing so. And hey, I I will... I will slightly contest the world-class venue in terms of overall, but uh, other than that, you're bang on with the the BC Place assessment. But yes, the the, the Toronto FC Stadium, it's it's like a, like you mentioned, you're comparing it. The fact that you're comparing it with the you know a, a forgotten city in a post post Soviet world just kind of sums <laughs> up the the how the state of the the BMO Field upgrades, and it's really too bad because I think BMO Field. It's a great stadium. I think it is a great stadium right now. The way it is, it's perfect for TFC. It's been perfect for the national team. Before looking at top level World Cup tier national stadium, it just lacks that. I think the only thing that can come close is uh, BC Place, assuming you put grass and sort out a few structural things, or it's a, a, a renovated Big O. And the, the renovated Big O, we have a better chance of. I don't even know. We have a better chance of seeing BMO Field become an 80,000 seat stadium. I don't know. So for BMO Field, I think, uh, unfortunately, at this stage, it's just the, the one thing that hurt them is that they built it too small initially. And from there, they've always just been playing catch up with, oh, shoot, the team's popular. Let's add stands. Oh, shoot, the national team wants player. Let's add stands. And they've always been playing for the fact that they've built it as originally as what? It was a 10, 15K seat stadium. And they've always been playing max, catch up yeah. since. Whereas... Yeah. Whereas if, if it would have been built as a 60,000 seat stadium from the hop, it could have been uh, so much more. So again, not to say it's a bad scene, but if we're looking at 
50 plus thousand national stadium proper venue it's just always going to lack that because of those reasons and there's just no room to build outside of the north and south really and even in the north end you've only got so far till you hit the gardner expressway so there really aren't many options there in that regard and plus if you're mlsc as well do you really have any motivation to remodel the stadium when you're getting 25 to 30,000 people in through the doors every time maybe not um Edward Hansing Wong, with Larea back and Marshall Ruddy slash Thompson just below in the depth chart, is there still a place for Caden Chung in the TFC squad? As a big Chung fan, I'd be disappointed if he is waived. I think that's how it's heading, to be honest, and it's really unfortunate, but those are the circumstances these days. Unless Chung can maybe reinvent himself as a center back, but in a back four, not so sure if that's viable. Even if you were to play left back, you got Crescito and Petrasso there. So that's not even an option either. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Chunks. I think he certainly has the level. I mean, maybe, you know, the Vancouver Whitecaps take a punt on him. Like, I still think he can play in MLS, but I think it's just not going to happen with TFC. So, I mean, for the most part, it looks like he's destined to to go on loan from what it's worth. It sounds like discussions have been already been set in motion for him potentially being, you know, a loanee somewhere next year. So I think the good news is Toronto FC is looking at his future. It's just unfortunate now that with Larea coming back, I mean, Hey, Richie Larea comes back to your team. You say, you know, no questions asked, but it's just, that's one of been one of the more unfortunate things this season. You look at how good Lucas McNaughton has been for TFC. I think I, I, saw a similar path for Chung. It's just unfortunate due to circumstances, injury, players coming in that hasn't happened. So hopefully alone can can change that. Cause one thing's worth remembering with a guy like Sig McNaughton, who's 26, Chung's what, 21, 22, 23? He's still relatively think, yeah. relatively young. So maybe a year you know on loan and then giving it a shot again once the, the TFC right back situation clears up uh, could be the way to go potentially yeah uh elsewhere cf montreal crushed new england 4-0 with a number of canadians mainly def- the defenders shining in that one and on that note a question here from mark carvalho um in seven months rudy camacho will have played in montreal for five years as far as i can see he has never been cap tied i know he's a bit older but can canada use him as a stopgap once vittoria retires since he already has experience playing with johnston miller and Waterman. It's not the worst show, but when you have Karifa Yao, who's probably going to be ready to eventually deputize in that position and has more upside, I think that's the route you take. Yeah, I think Karifa Yao, 100%. I mean, that's a great show. Who knows what position Justin Smith is going to end up mm-hmm. at when we still got Bilal Halbuni, Derek Cornelius already isn't getting calls. But at the same time, I think thing is Rudy Camacho has expressed an interest of potentially playing for Canada. I think if you're him and if you're Canada, let him fill out the process and at least have him as an option. Cause the thing is you never know, maybe all of a sudden you lose all of your center backs get hurt or, you know, there's depth issues or some of them aren't playing. It wouldn't hurt to have a guy like him around and be Canadian, you know, and have that eligibility if needed. But yeah, I don't think he's at this stage, maybe a year or two ago, there was an option to see because he is still young ish for a center back 31. But I just think with how things have progressed in the last year, uh, it is, you know, the, the, uh, the possibility of it, pardon me, is re- reduced. Although, hey, it wouldn't hurt to have him around as a potential depth option down the charts just as a, a contingency if needed. No, not at all. Uh, finally, the Vancouver Whitecaps picked up a 1 1 draw with Real Salt Lake on Saturday. They remain in the thick of the playoff race 
in the West with that point. Jacob, the box guy on that subject, do you expect the Whitecaps to make the playoffs? Do they let go of Vanny if they miss it? I honestly can't really see that happening myself. Yeah, I think Vanny gets at least through 2023, gets the Champions League run, gets a full, you know, they still have some work to do to get to their quote-unquote final squads and players to clear outs, players to bring in, especially at center back. I think, A, to answer the question, I do think the Whitecaps make the plus for now. I'm I'm in team camp. They do just based on who they have left to play, uh, et cetera. It's going to be tight, yes, but with how results are going around them. But I think either way, if they miss out, Vanny Sartini's safe for the next year. Moving over to the CPL. HFX Wanderers edged Pacific 1-0 and York beat Forge 3-1 in Saturday's action. Valor and Edmonton split points in a 1-1 draw, while Atletico Ottawa moved back atop the table by beating Cavalry 3-0 on Sunday. Surprise! It's Thomas, joined by Alex for immediate reaction to Pacific's dramatic CONCACAF League showdown with Herediano, as you all may know by now. Pacific FC were eliminated from the 2022 CONCACAF League round of 16 against the Costa Rican Giants. After losing the first leg in Langford, they won the second leg in San Jose, etching Herediano 1-0 in regulation time, but eventually lost 6-5 on penalty kicks. Uh, Alex, first things first, let's talk about that 89th-minute uh, equalizer on aggregate from Dutch-born De Santos, uh, the Capo Verde International. Talk me through the goal and how Pacific was playing uh, leading up to it. Yeah, it was pretty interesting because for most of the game, they were okay, especially defensively. They were sitting deep, absorbing a lot of pressure. They looked sloppy in the attack, really. Uh, But, you know, they defended well. They knew they just needed one goal. And then everything kind of changed, funnily enough, when Jamar Dixon got sent off. Uh, You know, you thought it was over when he he, he got a red card fairly for, for throwing his elbow up there. Uh, but after that, surprisingly, Pacific almost woke up. They subbed in, you know, Johnny DeSantos, uh, some other players that, you know, as well as Gennaro Daniels. Uh, they, they they really freshened up their lineup. And from there, they were pushing. I mean, right even a few minutes before the goal, Marco Bustos got robbed. Uh, and he thought it was going to maybe not be their night, but they were at least pushing, going down with a fight. And then that one moment of magic from Johnny DeSantos, who after uh, a long ball and a bit of a mistake from Harry Diano, he capitalized with a, a stunning 25-minute strike. And that was all they needed to get to, to penalties. So while it was a bit sad about how it ended, I thought Pacific really did well to recover from a tough red card on the road in a tough environment and overall they can be quite happy with the 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 performance that they showed in the end even if the result didn't go their way now of course this is going to be a quick turnaround for pacific fc because they're going to have to play valor in winnipeg Uh, but if you're james merriman and company uh, what is the biggest lesson uh, learned in this uh, first international tournament for the for the club yeah, I mean, I think it was good to to show that they've got talent in their team, that they can go up against good teams in CONCACAF. They can be solid on the road. I think two road games, uh, you know, they tied away in, against Waterhouse in the, the preliminary round. Now to go to Herediano and win 1-0 uh, down a man against the former CONCACAF League champions and CONCACAF Champions League semifinalists, if I'm not mistaken. That's a good bit of confidence because one thing in, in CPL play this year that is maybe not hurt Pacific, but they've been a lot stronger at home, but then they have been on the road. But with these two results, it shows that in the, you know this season, they can go on the road, they can get results and, and maybe 
get a bit of the magic they showed last year in the playoffs where they won on the road twice and won back-to-back games to win the championship. So I think that was probably the biggest thing we we learned from uh, James Merriman's team because we've already seen how good they've been in CPL play when they're on their game. They play good style of play, but to see those sorts of results, it, it shows that they can they have what it takes to to be in these big games and have that mental fortitude that you need. Of course, it's only the second time a CPL team has played in CONCACAF. Uh, given, of course, judging this performance and, of course, judging last year's performance, uh, what do you think is, is the future of CBL and CONCACAF? Yeah, I think it's bright. I mean, it's a bit sad in one sense that this is the last year of CONCACAF leagues. I really think if you give it a few years, uh, you give the CPL maybe even a second berth in the CONCACAF league, they really could be a threat year in, year out, pot- continuously push for top six, top four, qualify to Champions Leagues, maybe even lift the trophy one day. So I think it's a bit sad that CONCACAF League is going because I think it's going to be a big step up to Champions League. But as Forge, you know, showed this year when they went up against Cruz Azul and, you know, yes, they lost, but they scored a goal in the Azteca. They were competitive in both games. These CPL teams can go out and and put up a fight against, definitely against Central American teams, but even against MLS and and Liga MX teams, they can push and at least, you know, be competitive out there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they fare in, in the new Champions League. They get two berths minimum, maybe even three, depending if a Canadian Premier League team ever wins the Canadian Championship. So I think it'll be good for the growth of the league to have multiple teams and hopefully get some more memorable results against Central American and, and North American teams in the future. Now, could this have been a game where Wera Diaz would have been useful? Uh, he has obviously gone to Norway in the second tier. Uh, but do you wonder if their maximum goal score to date uh, would have affected the outcome in a positive way? Yeah, I think that was uh, unfortunate that he left when he did. I think especially in the first leg, he was missed. Pacific missed a few you know, key chances in the first leg. Maybe if they're up a goal, up two goals, they can head to Costa Rica, grind out a result, don't even have to worry about penalties. So I think they did well to to get the result they did without him. I think it was, it was fair, but I think they missed him, especially in that first leg. It really showed the the timing of the move to to move on a guy like that. Uh, at the time that they did. I mean, now they have to prepare for the playoffs and, uh, you know, hopefully for them, a guy like Gennaro Daniels, Johnny DeSantos, you know, Matteo Polisi, those guys will continue to step up and and fill that hole left by Diaz. But yeah, you could certainly feel it in this tie overall, at least. Finally, Alex, has the CPL reached the level of the Costa Rican League as the third best league in the region, in your opinion? I think it's close. I think we're, I'm still going to give Costa Rica the slight edge for now, but it's really not far behind if we're going to see anything. I mean, certainly Canada, based on how good they've been, uh, the CPL teams with Forge and Pacific, how good they've been against Jamaican teams, Panamanian teams, El Salvadorian teams. Uh, they're certainly past those, I'd say, but right now it's kind of a fight between the Honduran League and the Costa Rican League, and, and Canada certainly is very much in that discussion. So I say I give it a few years at this rate with some of the internationals that can't, you know, the CPL has been able to attract as well as strong domestic players, especially on the young side. I think it's only a matter of time uh, before they can pass the Costa Rican League, uh, you know, at least be in that discussion uh, because as they showed in these games, they can compete on their day. And speaking of Pacific, uh, thoughts on Paul Burns' new role with Pacific FC? And what does that tell you guys about the Vancouver CPL team? That is from Dan Clark. Pretty big hire for the club. Yeah, very big hire. I think it was 
one worry was with the Vancouver team is that they're going to throw a lot of eggs into that basket because they are certainly going all out for oh, the yeah. Vancouver team. Uh, I mean, good news is for those wondering, it sounds like the the movement uh, is coming along. Uh, funnily enough, I'll tease something. I don't often tease anything, but I actually spoke to Rob Friend yesterday for uh, for a piece. I'm just doing the update what's going on with uh, with Vancouver. So he told me that uh, things are certainly moving along, and he also mentioned that he was very happy with the Paul Beard hiring because it really gives the you know Pacifica someone who can continue that mandate and build. And because Paul Beard has always been a, a builder, so on both fronts, a lot a lot of great exciting things coming along on the Vancouver side. From what I've heard, looks like they're very well on track to kick off next year as planned. Uh, should be, you know, based on what we know about that ownership group, I'd expect an exciting squad, an exciting team, et cetera. But the good news is they're not forgetting about Pacific. And I think the fact that they were able to bring in a Paul Bierne uh, is a very good indication of what they still think of uh, Pacific because Rob Friend was very complimentary of the idea of a, a team on Vancouver Island and what the, what has been built there. And he certainly does not sound like he wants to waste that. A timely teaser because we did get a question from Montrealer who asked, it's awfully quiet in the CanPL. Any news about the known expansion markets or new ones? There is an update right there for you for the Fraser Valley CPL team coming next year. Vaness at Vans underscore Jets. Who's going to win this Sunday? Valor or Pacific? Pacific kind of reeling a little bit, um, you know, and the fact that they're going to be coming off uh, another midweek game in the CONCACAF League could add a little bit of spice to this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the midweek game really hurts because we saw against Halifax. The To be fair, they rotated their squad for that. They did. Honestly, I'm saying Valor at home. I'm seeing the Pacific's travels. I say Valor wins and makes things interesting in the, the playoff race. Indeed it shall. So to close out the show, we'll discuss uh, briefly the Canadian women's national team who are going to face Australia in a pair of friendlies on September 3rd and 6th. The roster for those friendlies was announced on Tuesday afternoon. Wsoccer.ca simply asked, Thoughts on the CanWNT roster, to which I am going to simply answer, Alex. Uh, The Swedish-based Canadians are being shafted a little bit here. It is really unfortunate, the the lack of uh, Evelyn Vian, Gabby Carl. So I think for the most part, I mean, a lot of as expected, it is a tough blow that no Deanne Rose, uh, Jade Riviere, and Vanessa Gilles due to injuries, especially Vanessa Gilles. She's been dealing with a very nagging knock due to, you know, just overuse, which is always a bit of a worry because, you know, those things linger. And there is still a World Cup around the corner next year. Uh, hopefully Jade Riviere, Deanne Rose for the most part, it sounds a lot less worrying on their parts. And then no Ashley Lawrence due to personal reasons. Those are tough blows, but the good thing is it's year, year out from the world cup. You'd think it's a chance to, to see some new players. And yes, I think there are a lot to be excited about like Clarissa Laracy getting brought in after what she's done for Huge. Celtic. I think it's yeah. good. It does show that, you know, because there, there was a group of uh, them like Chandra Davidson as well, that every week we've been saying, okay, she keeps scoring goals, have a look. So the fact that Laracy is getting a look is intriguing because it does show that Bev Priestman is looking at some of these leagues. But arguably, I'd look. I mean, the Swedish league feels like a stronger league than the Scottish league. They typically do better in Europe. They have a lot of good players yeah. coming out there. It just feels at this point... Bev Priestman is is uh, set on you know in her mind on on not bringing in Carl and Vienne. Hey, 
that's fine. She's the national team coach. That's the the way it is. The only reason it's just you look a Canada's defensive depth right now is hit by they're missing three of their four starting back line from the championships due to injuries and personal reasons. You would have thought that someone like Gabby Carlo has been excellent at left back, left wing back, center back, right back, right wing back this year in Sweden would get a call. And then also Canada can't score goals. You'd think someone who has 11 goals in all competitions, one in the Champions League, 10 in the Swedish League, plus a boatload of assists in Evelyn Vienne could also get a look. So it's more question of, you know, who's not, I guess it's more of a question is who's there in the squad and what Canada needs versus uh, Vian Carl. So I think, yeah, that's the biggest exclusion. Otherwise, for the most part, it was as expected. The only other questions I'd say in midfield, I'm surprised again that uh, a Mary Esme Aladu or a Victoria Pickett, uh, you know, aren't getting a look, although it is intriguing to see Simeo Wujo get a call after uh, mm. being one of the bright spots in Canada's unfortunate U20 World Cup run. Still quite a few intriguing call ups just based on the injuries and whatnot. So, Shall be an intriguing pair of friendlies for that reason, because there are still going to be spots up for grabs. Just for the love of God, star Julia Grosso. That's all I want to see. (laughs) Anyways, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we appreciate your uh, understanding regarding our uh, hiatus last week. That was unfortunate, but hopefully that doesn't happen for a long, long time yet. So for Alexander Gongi Ruzik, I'm Peter Galindo. We will chat to you, hopefully, same time, same place next week and up the NFP.